free from dysfunction. He sets us free from stinking thinking. He sets us free from the bondage that held us in a domain of darkness. When we come to Christ, we start thinking differently. We, uh, our worldview begins to change. And Jesus really does begin to set us free. And it is amazing how when you consistently walk with the Lord, you begin to change from the inside out. You don't have to make yourself change. You have to be obedient. You have to be willing to come under his authority. You have to allow him to sit on the throne of your heart. But he begins to change you miraculously. Tammy is not the same woman I married nearly 35 years ago. And you all said what? Amen. And I'm not the same man that you married 35 years ago. And you all said, amen. You guys got to put some energy into it. Yeah, because Jesus sets us free. The world doesn't know that. The world thinks that power sets you free. The world thinks that money sets you free. The world has all sorts of reasons why they're in bondage, but Jesus is the chain breaker. Amen? Woohoo! Now, we are on the fourth part of the Lord's Prayer. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and uh, let's read it, uh, and we're going to start at verse 9 and read through verse 15. Uh, you can read along with me. I'm reading now the ESV, changes the thighs to your. It's pretty uh, remote, though, in your brain about the, uh, our Father who art in heaven, our, our Father in heaven. So Jesus is teaching this crowd of people. And he says on verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he almost does a sidebar, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Most people like to take a black marks a lot and mark this out of their Bible because it just hits you like a two by four. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow, that's heavy duty. So today on the fourth part of going through the Lord's Prayer, if you notice the title in your bulletin, it's titled, Talking with God About Sin in My Life. Oh, this sounds like it's going to be a load of fun, doesn't it? It's going to be like a pick-me-up flower bouquet from FTD. Better yet, it's going to be like going to the dentist to get a root canal. How many of you ever had a root canal? Oh, man... I've never prayed hard for Jesus to return until I was in that seat. Jesus, come take me now. Take me now. Oh, that was the most painful thing I've ever endured in my life. Now, I have sensitive teeth, so it was just off the chart for me. But you need to know it had to be done, right? Your root canal had to be done. You didn't look forward to it, but it was something that you had to get done. If you want to write this down, It will help understand this entire concept for today that Jesus is about to teach us. Write these words down. God gives grace to the humble, 
right? Grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble, and he brings the law to the proud. He'll bring the law down on you to the proud of heart, but he gives grace to the humble. So just keep that in in the back of your head. Now, we just read the entire Lord's Prayer, and let's jump into this concept of sin first. So here's the very first fill-in-the-blank, and that is this, sin hinders prayer. Before we get into the text, we need to outline that. Sin hinders prayer. It's just a general understanding that, that uh, the Bible teaches. Ignoring sin is a bad policy. Are you with me on that? Sweeping it under the rug doesn't deal with it. It just festers in some way, somehow it's going to come out and it's going to look uglier and bigger and nastier than before. So sin hinders prayer. Let me just read some Bible verses to you that illustrate this. The prophet Isaiah is talking to Israel and it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short, nor that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, your sin has made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't listen to you in your prayer life. go, wow, that's pretty serious. God isn't going to be listening to me if I am in rebellion? Yes. It's like the good mother that goes to Walmart, the child's throwing a fit, wants candy out of the candy rack, and what does the good mother do? She hides her face from that child, right? No, you take that candy, you put it back. He, the mom is not going to give in to the child, and God's not going to give in to your rebellious heart because it will only strengthen your rebellious heart. Are you with me on that? He wants to train your heart. So he's, he is going to, wait, uh, should I tell a story on Brittany? Brittany, can I tell? Okay. I'm going to ask permission. You have no idea what I'm going to say. Go ahead. Brittany had this little cute pixie voice when she was little. It was just the most darlingest little pixie voice. But when she turned the wine on it, it was just the worst thing in the world. So when she came in and whining for something, what did your mom and dad tell you to do? Leave the room, wait a minute or two, and come back and don't use a whiny voice. Because... That's what God is doing to the Israelites. He says, I'm strong to save you, but I've hid my face from you because of your iniquity. Now let's go on in Isaiah. It says, there is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. And then the psalmist writes this, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Sin, catch this, this is the concept. Sin hinders our relationship with God because sin always separates us. It erects walls and and barriers. It ruins relationships. It makes our ears dull. It hardens the conscience. Today, our society acts nothing like it did in the 60s. Do I hear an amen? Because we have so hardened our heart against God's way that We live in a culture that now in schools 
or in universities or even the Boy Scouts, they're teaching kids things that they have no right to be teaching them. I told you a month ago that at the Boy Scout Jamboree this year, they're handing out condoms to all the Jamboree kids. Eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds, eleven-year-olds, twelve-year-olds. And you think, whoa, would they have this been permissible? But it doesn't matter anymore. Promiscuity? Sleeping around? What's on TV? What's on Twitter? What's on Facebook? It is all now, why? How did this happen? Because if we don't deal with sin, it hardens the conscience and you continue headlong in it. And that's what our society has done, right? Okay, let's stop blaming the society. Let's blame ourselves. That's what we've done. Our sensitivity to sin isn't what it should be. Even it affects the marriage relationship definitely. Do you know in First Peter it says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so your prayers may not be what? Hindered. Now, there are five Greek words for sin. I'm not trying to impress you. I just want you to see the variety. That's all. This first word, ophelima, means debt. It just means a debt. Simple, it's a debt owed. Hamartia, sin, means missing the mark. It means that God's standards way up here, and no matter how hard we try, we can't achieve His righteousness. Para Peraptoma means trespass, means slipping or falling, more from carelessness. You weren't paying attention and you ran the red light, but the next one, parabasis, transgressions intentionally crossing God's boundaries. I know it's wrong. Now, when I was a kid, if you wanted to look at a Playboy magazine, or let me say this, buy a Playboy magazine, they were behind a counter, weren't they? And they were covered. And somebody actually had to walk up to the counter and say, uh, can I have uh, the girly magazine? And then the clerk would pull it out and give it to the person that was buying it. Today, what is it? It's a push of a button on a computer. And so we can transgress those boundaries ceaselessly nowadays. And then we have anomia. That's the worst kind of sin. It means lawlessness, wickedness, direct and open rebellion against God. So you can almost see a trans... Uh, a trans tra not transition, not transgression. What am I searching for? Uh... It's going to follow in this order. How's that? You have debts, then not quite being as righteous as God, and then to slip past the boundary, then to intentionally cross the boundary, and then finally you're crossing the line and your fist is towards God. So it's a tr trans... Oh, well, I'll... What's that? Progression. But it's a trans word that means the same thing that I can't think of, sorry. A progression. Our greatest problem is sin, and sin not only destroys intimacy, a good relationship with God, sin destroys our relationships are horizontal, right? 
sister to sister, brother to brother, mother to son, mother to daughter, father to daughter, father to son, neighbor to neighbor, coworker to coworker. When we allow sin to take root in our hearts, it starts to separate us out from the people that we have community with. And wherever sin is, it's going to separate and break. So our greatest need then is forgiveness. And that opens the door to restoration, to mending those broken relationships. Now, I don't have it for you on the screen, but there's another Greek word that means to forgive. It means to take the debt and cancel it. It means to throw it away. It means to forgive, release, remit, to pay a debt in full. The other Greek word for forgiveness has the root of it as the word grace. We, it's charo, charo, charozomai. And it means to freely or unconditionally give forgiveness, even when it's undeserved and it is a debt that cannot be owed or earned or paid back. Now, asking for forgiveness, because go back to the text for a second. The verse we're looking at is verse 12 in the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So asking for forgiveness implies confession. It's not a generic one-size-fits-all, sorry, sorry. Because if you're just sorry, are you sorry because you got caught? Are you sorry because you hurt the person? Big difference in sorry, isn't it? So the word repents is a better word. It means I'm not going to do it again if I have the opportunity. I'm not going to do it again if I give, get another opportunity to hurt you. I'm not going to do it. So here's the fill in the blank. When we do confession... It means looking sin in the eye. Guilt and the feelings of shame make us flinch and we don't like to look at our sin. We just don't. I might have shared this before. If I have, just raise your finger up twice because you've heard it twice, okay? When I was six years old, there was a girl seven houses down and... You know, I'm six, she's six, and we're playing together. And I don't know if you ever flipped your bicycles over and uh, spun the wheel around like that, and you said you were making ice cream. Because, you know, remember in the old days how you made homemade ice cream? You had to crank that thing and crank it and crank it. So we'd flip our bicycles over, and we would do this. Well, we got tired of that. And she said, Robbie, will you push me? I'm like, sure, I want to show how strong I am. So we flipped her bicycle over. And it had that one with the sissy bar. Remember the sissy bars? I don't even know why they were called sissy bars. What? Yeah. Tammy's like, I've, I've heard this ten times, Rob. She gets on the bike and ready, set, go. And I start pushing. Her feet were on the pedals. So I shoved really hard because I was trying to impress this little six-year-old girl. And down she went. And she broke her collarbone. I broke her collarbone. She got home from the hospital. And my mother said, Robbie, you have to go down and tell her you're sorry. 
I know it was an accident. That word transgression, accidentally crossing the line, it wasn't on purpose, you did it on accident, but you still have to go down the street. Do you know that seven houses was the longest walk of my entire life? Every fiber in my body didn't want to go and face that little girl and face that little girl's mom. And I remember going to that door and I knocked on it and that mother opened the door and there I was looking up at mom and I just said, I'm sorry. And then I probably started blubbering. But you know what happened next? I could play with that little girl again because I dealt with it. I went and I apologized. I know I didn't sin against her, but it's the same concept. When you can deal and look at sin in the eye and deal with it, guess what happens? No longer is it separating you and the little girl or you and God or you and your coworker, or you and your husband or you and your daughter, you and your son, whatever it is. Now there's a chance for reconciliation because you've looked at what you did in the eye. True confession is like that. Seeing it how God sees it. Not justifying the sin, not blaming others, no excuses, no sanitizing it, no sterilizing it, not dressing a pig up in a dress and calling it pretty. You just deal with it. Do you remember when David, King David in the Bible, he messed around with Bathsheba and she ended up pregnant and now he's in a worse pickle than before? Not only did he use his authority, his political authority, his uh, just authority as the king to seduce this, this young girl, he kills her husband. And then, and so take your Bibles and, and, and turn to Psalms. Psalm 51. David does not confess his sin for a few years. And as he's hiding it in his heart, as he's not looking at it in the eye, it is churning him up inside. It's just like this cancer that's just eating him, his heart from the inside out. And finally he gets to a point where he confesses to God what God already knows. Beginning at verse 1 of 51, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my, there's a word, transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my, another word, iniquity. And cleanse me from, another word, my sin. A transgression, iniquity, sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And then he, he, he writes some really weird words. Look at verse 4. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, that, that's far enough. Okay. He killed Uriah. He seduced another man's wife. He kept the kingdom in deceptions and lies for maybe two years. 
And he has the gall, or maybe it's not gall. We'll find out. He has the gall to say to God, verse 4, against you, only you have I sinned. What does Uriah think about it? What does Bathsheba think about it? What does the kingdom think about it? John White has an interesting understanding of this passage. And he says, since God is Uriah's keeper, since God is Heather's keeper, since God is Sheila's keeper, when you do something against them and you wrong them, you're really offending who? God is their keeper. It would be as if it's one thing to go kick your neighbor's dog, right? It's another thing to kick your neighbor's dog when your neighbor's watching. God is watching when you kick another person. God is watching when you lie. God is watching when you do anything. And so that's why it says against you and only you, God. They're all really against God. Now, talking with God about sin in my life, it does have some really great positive effects, though. It, it brings healing. It removes barriers. First John, turn there if you want to. First John chapter 1, go all the way to the back of the Bible. It's right before Revelation or the John. First John, many of you have memorized this, but I want to make sure that I get all the verses. It says this, beginning at verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But look at verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Woohoo! If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And guess what? His word is not in us. If we justify ourselves, we're saying that God is wrong and he's a liar. But if we justify God, then we're saying he's right and we're wrong. Now we come to the hard part. Let's actually talk about sin in my life. I have some illustrations, or a, an object. Pretend you go to the ice cream store, and it's a dollar a scoop. Which scoop do you want them to use? Okay. Let's change the scenario just, just for Bob. Bob, you're the owner of the ice cream store. Which scoop do you want to use? The small one, right? Let's switch roles. When it comes to God dishing out forgiveness, this is the scoop we want. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And when then God says, I want you to forgive the one that wronged you, we pull out this one, right? We don't want to use God's measurement. We want to use our measurement. Because after all, they hurt me. They stole from me. They took from me. They broke it from me. Wait, 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 wait. Go back to the text. This is important. Go back to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Look at this verse. Verse 12. 
Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. But drop down to verse 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Before you ask for forgiveness, the prayer indicates that you have already forgiven those who have wronged you. Notice it's in past tense. So before we even come to that part in our prayer about our sin, we have to have a forgiving heart. And so here's number three. Before you ask for forgiveness, you need to be dishing out forgiveness. So, what scoop do you want God to use? The big scoop, right? Well, let's read on. In Luke chapter 6, it says this, Love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be called sons of the Most High God, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And be merciful as your Father is merciful. But then he goes on and says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you. Then he says, Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back into your lap. But here's the kicker. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If this is the scoop that you're going to use, this is the scoop God's going to use towards you. If this is the scoop you're using towards others, this is the scoop that God is going to use towards you. This is, this is so hard, but so necessary that Jesus had to comment it after the prayer. And another passage, it says this, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. That's pretty inclusive of everything. So that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Now, the rabbis of Jesus' day thought that it was really, really righteous to forgive up to three times. So let's say Lawrence borrows my lawnmower and he takes it and he breaks it and returns it. And then he, and I say, okay, I'm going to forgive him. And then he comes and he borrows it again and he breaks it again. And then he borrows it the third time and then by the rabbis, that's it, no more. You've lied to me three times now. You broke my machine because you keep running over your tree stumps. And then Peter comes along and says, Lord, how about if I forgive up to seven times? Twice as many as the rabbis are saying. And do you remember Jesus' famous words? I say unto you that if somebody is doing you wrong, you don't forgive them seven times. You forgive them seven times seventy. In other words, you don't keep count that the heart of a Christ follower is a one that is filled with forgiveness. And that's tough. Can you agree with me that that's tough to forgive? 
It is tough. I'm not trying to whitewash it and say, oh, it's just so easy. Just go home and do it. Get on your knees. Just everybody's so... No, it's tough. So how do we do it? How do we not fake forgiveness? You have to do it in the strength of the Lord, number one. You have to have His power and His perspective and His energy in order to forgive. If you try to do it on your own strength you're probably not really forgiving them. Number two, there's no list or anything, but I'm just, for my reference, forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a decision of the will. Because there are times when our feelings say, they hurt me, they betrayed me, and I want to embrace that, and I want to hug it. And God says, forgiveness isn't a feeling, it is a decision it's a decision of the will. We went over Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, a few weeks ago when we talked about when uh, trying to restore relationships. He says this. I'm going to quote it. Forgiveness involves a decision not to think or talk about what someone has done. And God calls us to make this decision regardless of our feelings. And he outlines these four processes. Number one, I will not think about this incident. I will choose not to keep recalling it to my memory. Because when we recall things to our memory, sometimes we embellish, right? We embellish and embellish. Number two, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I'm not going to think about it and I'm not going to use it as a weapon, especially in marriage, especially in marriage. Number three, I will not talk to others about the incident. Heather, do you know what Tammy did to me? Oh, stop it. Stop it. I will not talk to others about the incident. Number four, I will not allow this incident to stand between us and hinder our personal relationship. That is powerful forgiveness. If Tammy was to do something wrong to me, that I'm able to push it out of my mind. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to blame her or uh, tell others about it, but I'm not going to let it stand in the way of our relationship. Now, we brought Tammy and, and uh, Diana up here a few weeks ago, remember? One party is choosing not to remember the debt. Think of it this way. Heather, what will happen if you don't pay your mortgage? You have this debt. They're going to come foreclose on you, right? Okay, let's say Diane has a debt to Tammy. Diane, I don't know what you did to her, but you owe her. You sinned against your sister there. But Tammy decides not to foreclose on the relationship. She's going to forbear. She's going to forgive the debt. Remember that sin? That word for sin means debt. She's going to forgive you. And you guys can continue the relationship. If you continue, may make it harder for her to forgive, but she's still asked to forgive. And the other part when they repent, they're able to restore. So when you repent, Diane, 
You and Tammy can be best buds now, BFFs, right? Some may never repent, though, but you have to own your part. The relationship may never be restored because of their actions. Sometimes old hurts come up. They do. I want you to to practice this. Remember that you made a decision to forgive them. With the strength of the Lord, you forgave them. And a storm came in your life and triggered some old emotions and those feelings come back up and you think you're still in unforgiveness. No, unforgiveness or forgiveness is the decision. You've made the decision, now just remember you made the decision. Because we don't want a root of bitterness to to spring up in your heart. Let's go back to the text and finish up. Look at verse 13. It says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me tell you another way of saying it. It's your fill in the blank. It's help me, Lord. Have you ever said that prayer before? Help me, Lord. Absolutely. God doesn't tempt. Don't abandon me in temptation so that it overwhelms me. And all three Gospels record Jesus in the garden when the disciples are falling asleep on him. He says what? Keep their eyes open. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And when we pray at this portion of the prayer, it's like, Lord, I know I'm going to be in a tough meeting today. Let me see in my way of escape. Help me to be successful, Lord. Michael, are you going to have a student that's out of control this semester? You know what's going to be really good for you as you pray? Lord, help me, because that is part of the prayer. Lead me not into temptation. Let me say that Michael's going to say, Lord, help me to have the strength to deal with child B today. Let me see him how you see him. It's perfect to say, help me, Lord. Help me be aware of the spiritual battle. Keep my eyes open. Let me see the the things and the traps of the evil one. Had Samson prayed that way, he might have never messed around with Delilah. What a wonderful way to end the Lord's prayer. Help me, Lord. Okay, we covered a lot of ground, and I did it really fast, and I apologize. I mean, I just, because sin is a a thing that's in our life. And God takes it seriously, and he wants you to deal with it so it gets dealt with. So that your relationship can become really close to God. Sometimes you're not close to God because you're sinning in your life. And other times, you, you just need to come and look sin in the eye and deal with it. And God already knows about it and wants to help you be victorious over it. Forgiveness is costly. When you cancel someone's debt, somebody is left holding the bag. As I've heard it said one time, there are no free lunches, Billy boy. You know who paid our price? Jesus. We stand before God completely forgiven because our debt was paid. It cost Jesus everything. The wrath of God, 
the torment of, of being on the cross, knowing that all you had to say was stop this chaos. And so it will cost you for, to forgive. It will cost you dearly. But God has promised that it's going to be okay. He'll take care of the one that stole from you. He'll take care of the backbiter at work. He'll take care of the one that gossips about you. He'll take care of the one that wants to, to kill you. I don't know if you ever watch Saturday evening TV. It's all about true stories about people trying to kill other people. You ever notice that? It's 2020 or I witnessed something. It's always on Saturday night. It's about somebody trying to kill somebody and getting away with it. God is the writer of wrongs. Grace to the humble. He brings law to the proud. Let me pray. Father God.